1 Corinthians 6, 19, it says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you and who you have received from God? Your life is not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. This idea that like, I am not mine anymore. I was once, but I was bought. The day I took that deal that Jesus offered, he said, Adam, my life for yours. And I was like, Jesus, yes, I'm taking it. And what I love is this thing is not born out. When we offer ourselves to Jesus, when we give ourselves back to him, it's not this thing of compulsion. I don't give my life to Jesus because I'm scared of him or because I think he should or because he's more powerful. I give my life to him because I'm aware of what he's done for me. I'm like, Jesus, actually, I worship you because I love you. And that's the reality of us as people. We worship what we love. And I love Jesus. I'm very selfish in why I love Jesus. I love him because of what he did for me. I'm aware of the price he paid and the life I live and the penalty I should have for the life I lived before I knew him. And out of that, I'm like, Jesus, I'm in. But it says, do not be conformed to this world. And so when we're talking about these kind of things, I don't actually want you to be a square. I don't want you to be a total nerd of no life. I'm actually, what I'm asking you to do here is can you be a rebel? I'm asking you to rebel against this world, to be a total maverick. Don't copy it. Don't let it shape the way you think. Think for yourselves. Take your own brain and your own thoughts and say, you know what, world, I'm not going to let you shape me. I'm going to take my mind and I'm going to shape my thoughts and my patterns on what Jesus says and what his word says, because I know actually that I was made for eternity. I was made for something else. And so don't tell me what to do. Don't tell me how to live my life. Let me follow Jesus. Let God transform you. Transform the way you think. And you know what we often do is we take our theology and we let our theology be shaped by our thinking. And that's a problem. Because theology, mine, is based on the Word of God. And that thing doesn't change. It has not changed since the day it was written. And so what we actually need to do is start flipping this thing over and allowing our thoughts to be shaped by our theology. Allowing the Word of God to change the way we think and approach this world. And the problem is that I don't really trust this world. We were told for many, many years that carbs are the way to go. You want to be an ultra sportsman, you eat carbs. Then they're like, oh wait, actually we're wrong. Sorry guys, now it's all like protein, fat, and vegetables. Now we've all got to kind of drop carbs and now we're only allowed to eat meat and vegetables. I don't know whether I'm supposed to be wearing skinny jeans or baggy jeans or in-between jeans. Like, I don't know because one minute it's this, the next minute it's this, the next minute it's this. Crocs, Crocs, Crocs came out. We all laughed at them. Now they're kind of cool and everyone's wearing them. And you get like, you got amazing Crocs. You got these like platform Crocs. Like this world is so fickle. Now, a lot of you guys are too young to remember this, but any of you heard the word Y2K? Huh? We were all told that the world was going to end in the year 2000 because computers and the computing, the date was going to roll over. Everything was 1998, 99. What happens when it's just zero, zero? They told us the world was going to implode. All the computers were going to die. You had to like Y2K proof everything. New Year's rolled around. Nothing happened. I don't trust this world. Can't afford to. It's let me down. It hasn't been consistent enough. Everything we've been told to believe has changed and the goalposts have shifted. And if we're letting that shape our thinking, 
we're building on something that's so fickle. We actually need to start taking our thoughts captive and subduing them, submitting them, wrestling them to the ground for Christ's word and what he says and what his Holy Spirit does and says in us. And so I really wanted to start with that. That in talking about this stuff, I'm saying don't look to the world. It is not trustworthy. Don't just be a sheep, man, that follows the world. Don't let it shape you. Fight it. Resist. Be a rebel. Be wild. Be different. And in our heart of hearts, that's always what we want. We want to be different. We all say, oh, I'm so unique. I'm so different. And yet, if we all look like the world, we're not that unique, man. We're not. Those who follow Jesus with absolute conviction, they are the wild ones. Jesus in his day was a maverick. He was a rebel. They looked at him. They said he was nuts. He was putting himself against every established institution. He was the most anti-establishment person I've ever met. And somehow we have this idea that he's just this boring guy who wants to restrict our lives. No. Saying, don't throw your brain away. Let Jesus shape it. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think so that you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. The NIV translation of that last passage, it says, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. What I'm saying to you here is weigh this world. Test it. Don't just accept what it says. Hold it up and say, you know what, will do you measure up to what my word says? If you don't, I'm not in. I'm having no part of you. Because God is the one who made you. He is the one who designed you. It's like trying to toast bread in your kettle. It's not going to work because the kettle wasn't made for that. The kettle is living out its ultimate glory when you put water in it and you boil it. You know why? That's what it was made to do. That guy... Philips or Samsung or whoever, he designed that thing to do a thing. And when the thing does what it was destined to do, it performs in all its glory. Try and toast bread in it and you're just going to make a mess. So I want to set that tone there. Like, you were made by the creator of everything and you were made for eternity. You were not actually made for this life. You are made for eternity to echo on forever. You are a foreigner here. You are a square peg. You do not fit in the box. And don't ever let anybody tell you differently. Especially a world that is skinny jeans one minute and baggies the next. Romans 9 to 10. Do not just pretend that you love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Stand on the side of the good and love each other with a genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. That is what we're going to build on today. 
this idea of loving each other with a genuine love that honors each other, that honors actually the fact that we were made for eternity and made in the image of God. I want you to understand that. You were made in the image of God. You are a representation of His divinity. You carry that around in you. And so does everybody else that you relate to. So what does love really look like? The world will tell you one thing. My Bible tells me another. And in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4 to 8, we love this. We love to read this. We love to quote it. I'm asking you to live it. Love is patient and kind. It is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of when it has been wronged. It is never glad about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. I want to quickly pull two of those out of the NIV. It says, love does not dishonor others, and it is not self-seeking. How many of our relationships are built on what I want? even at the expense of your honor. And the thing is, when you read about love, real love is actually not about you. This is the crazy thing. Real love is about them. As a husband and a father, I love my wife and I love my children. My first duty is that I die first. I die for them. I lay my life down for them. I put what I want aside for their sake. Love is about the other. And I'll show you. John 15 verse 13. It says, Greater love has no man than this, than that he lays down his life for his friend. That is real love. That is what real love looks like. And if we're talking dating, relationships, and even just this kind of love that we have as brothers and sisters, it's that first, is your foundation. I will lay down my life for you. I love the Apostle Paul. He loved the church so much that he actually said, I'm willing to give up my salvation if one of you would be saved. Imagine that heart. I would go to hell for eternity if you would be saved. That's the heart of an apostle. That's Paul. Those are his words. Like, do we love like that? Or is it actually about, this is what's going to make me feel good now. Honoring each other, man. Who's ever felt honored, encouraged, built up after breakup? Serious. How does that leave you feeling? Distraught. Broken. Horrible. Not a good feeling. You feel like that lines up with what we see here, love being patient, kind, never self-seeking, always seeking to honor, laying down lives for each other. Problem is our world tells us, chase your happiness, man. Live your best life. Do what, live your inner truth or whatever. The world's version of love is what makes you feel good. Do that. Can I tell you? Imagine Jesus had done that. 
It's like he prayed for it. The Garden of Eden. He's like, Lord, I don't want to do this. What you're asking me, like, if there's any other way, take this cup from me. But then his heart is, but actually, Lord, not what I want. Jesus was God. He was totally God. He could totally have in that moment just said, nah, it's too much. I'm out. I'm going to live my best life. I'm going to live my truth. And Jesus' truth was that he was innocent. There was no reason for him to die. And yet in his heart, he's like, Lord, if you're asking me to do this, I will drink this cup to the very dregs. I'm not even going to just take a sip. I'll down this thing. And I love the way Jesus loved. You know, he didn't just come and say, yeah, oh, yokes look cool. I'm going to try this out for a bit, see how it works out. Maybe it goes somewhere. He came in and said, no, I'm laying down my life. I'm all in. I'm giving everything, even my life, for your sake. That is love. So I feel like when we're considering dating, is that our heart? Or is it, eh? Try it out. See how it goes. Maybe it works. Maybe it doesn't. Like, does that honor God in whose image we're made? Does that honor the image of God in each other? I feel like it doesn't. I can't get there. And, you know, the problem is the Bible talks about us being one body of many parts, and that when one part is hurt, the whole body suffers. The problem with not doing relationships and not loving each other well is that when we hurt each other, it's not just you and her or you and him. There's the whole body now suffers. We Jane's prophetic word this morning, like when one part of the body is hurt, it's like the whole body hurts. We carry all of us the pain when one of us is in pain. And the worst is that so often this stuff is self-inflicted. We choose to do this. But again, I want to be clear with you that I'm not anti-dating. I'm all for it. Man, even God looked at Adam and said, Adam, it is not good for you to be alone. I'm going to make you a helper. And he makes Eve. And so a healthy relationship between a man and a woman, honestly, one of the most biblical things you'll find. Lots of it in the Bible. Big fan, personally. As evidenced by the fact that I've got married and have procreated children. Big fan of relationships, okay? But man, there's this idea of it being in the right place in the right time. And this for us is where I fear that we've let the world actually take our minds captive a bit. That I think we've lost a little bit of the weight and measure of the type of love that God calls us to and what it means for how we live out our lives. And, you know, even in preaching this, like, I don't want you to feel super convicted and, like, condemned down. If we ever look at each other, Adam's going to come shout at us. Like, what I'm wanting to do, I'm not bringing rules, okay? I want to really make that clear. I'm not trying to bring rules here, but I am trying to instill values. I'm going to say this is what we're after. Let's start shaping our lives after what Jesus holds dear and honor like the price he paid for each other like let's give that the weight it carries 
And the problem is that often in, in ignorance, like I didn't know this stuff when I was a young guy. I didn't. In ignorance, I actually hurt and sinned. And like no one ever really sat me down and had a healthy conversation with me about this kind of stuff. And so in ignorance, I went wrong. And so even in this, I want to instill values so that we no longer in ignorance would hurt each other. But actually, by having taken our thoughts captive and told this world to get lost, that we would start to live lives that honor God. And the problem is, you know, not, not all relationships end in marriage. I just want to make that clear. And, you know, so how, there's this idea of like, we try this out, maybe it works. Um, you know, I'm not saying every relationship you start has to end in marriage, but there is this very big difference between, actually, you know what, I have no intention of marrying you now, or possibly in the foreseeable future, but this feels good now, so we're going to kind of go with it, and we're going to just appease our flesh. Or, actually, you know what, I'm, I'm ready for marriage, and I think maybe you are too. And so let's move with purpose towards this thing of like possibly, probably getting married. And if that doesn't work out, which it often doesn't because we are all broken and working through our own stuff and we try and hear God, but we don't always, then that's a different story. The intention was always that I would honor you entirely in this thing and not just actually chase after my own pleasure and what makes me feel good right now. And I do feel that anything less than that dishonors God and dishonors each other. This idea that I'm just going to, I'm going to taste what I have no intention of actually eating. Just going to have a bite here, bite there. doesn't really, it's not that serious. It's not that big a deal. That is what the world says. But God's standard is so much higher. Like he looks at us and he's like, you like, you look at her even like that. In your heart, like you slept with her. And this for me is why big fan of dating. But man, timing is important. And so we're going to dive a little bit into one of the most scandalous books in the Bible. Good old Song of Solomon. Guys, all my black friends, watch the white people blush. We can't tell when you guys are blushing. But, but seriously, like, a, like love is a beautiful thing, man. Like I said, like God made us for each other. We were designed to find each other attractive. It's the most natural thing in the world in a sense. But realize that sin has corrupted what God has made to be perfect. And so what is the most natural thing in God's order gets messed up by men and women and sin. Okay, so we're going to quickly jump into Song of Solomon 2, verse 1 to 7. And this is this crazy love poem, you know, written. Um, anyway, so this is the, the lady. She says, I am the spring crocus. I am the rose of Sharon, the lily of the valley. Yes, compared to other women, my beloved is like a lily among the thorns. Sounds dry and boring, hey? Square. And compared to the other youths, my lover is like the finest apple tree in the orchard. 
I'm seated in his delightful shade, and his fruit is delicious to eat. He brings me to the banquet hall so that everyone can see how much he loves me. Oh, feed me with your love, your raisins and your apples, for I am utterly lovesick. His left hand is under my head, and his right hand embraces me. That's this beautiful story, man. There's this, like, passion and love, and, like, that's what we all want. We want, you know, man, like, I want Ellie to talk about me like that, you know. Really, I'm all in. She says that. I'm like, drop this mic. You know, I'm out of here. (laughs) But then look what she says. She says, promise me, a woman of Jerusalem, by the swift gazelles and the deer of the wild, not to awaken love until the time is right. And what she's saying here, there's this balance of this is the most beautiful moment, the most beautiful love, the ultimate expression of what God created to be between man and woman. And like, she is amped. And she's like, but I'm begging you, I'm begging you, don't get into this until the time is right. Don't let this thing take hold of you until the time is right, because it is so strong. Who's felt like that when you're near someone you like? Hey, those sparks and the passion and the, like, it's the most beautiful thing, man. And it is the point. We were made to find each other beautiful. Attraction is the most natural thing in the world. But sin has come and has messed it up and has corrupted it. And so what God made to be beautiful and holy and Perfect becomes just an area of massive pain and disappointment and heartache if not exercised in the way he designed it to be exercised and in the time that he calls it to be. That's the problem, you know. This thing will either bring you the greatest fulfillment you'll ever have or it'll break you and it'll cause you so much heartache and pain. And the problem is, in getting into relationships too soon, one of two things happen. Either you just burn with passion and go slowly mad because this thing is very powerful and it is built into the fiber of who we are. And so you might be able to keep it together, but man, you're going to struggle. Or like me, you'll cave and you'll cross a line. Because that was my pattern. You might tell me, yeah, but Adam got this together, you know, me and her. Like, we're cool. We can go two years. We can go two years. We're not going to struggle. We're not going to cross a single line. Not going to struggle with a single thought. And I want to make that clear, man. Are you able to be in a relationship in absolute purity like that without even letting your thoughts cross lines? Because if they do, you're near her and you're like, you! Like in your heart, like that's how seriously, that's how high God's standards are. That's how seriously he takes holiness and how seriously he takes the dignity that he's instilled in us. That he's like, if you even cross it with your eyes, you've taken what doesn't belong to you. And if you are able to do that, you're like, Adam, we're, we're good. We're not going to cross a single line. We're not going to have a single 
thought. Not going to be inappropriate in any sense. Can I tell you something? You're not dating your friends. Well done. Keep that thing. Don't break it. Don't ruin it. You literally got like probably the perfect friendship. You relate to Zekius. I like that laugh, bro. Don't awake a passion that can't be fulfilled, man. Don't do that to yourself. Don't suffer like that. Proverbs 4 verse 23, it says, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Your heart is the wellspring of life. Why would you go and throw a hand grenade into the spring? You know, I, with Ellie, I got it right. We managed to really walk out our relationship, like, really well, I think. Um, didn't really cross any boundaries, didn't cross any boundaries. I stood there on my wedding day, and it was such a beautiful sense of knowing. I was like, Lord, I really did this right. I get to stand in front of you today with a totally clear conscience. Like, it was one of the most beautiful moments of my life. It was incredible, and I was so amped. And I was like, Lord, I did this. Like, I guarded my heart, and now there's life in this thing. And it was beautiful, but, man, I didn't always get it right. I got it wrong a lot before Ellie. I crossed boundaries before Ellie. And you know, the terrible thing about marriage, and the beautiful thing about marriage, is that two become one. You become one flesh. And so even though I got it right with her, I took into marriage with her the shots and the wounds I took outside of marriage and actually I brought a lot of that pain in with me and God was super kind and super gracious and there was forgiveness and but man there were still wounds there were still scars that I brought into our marriage that she had to work through with me that we had to sort out after the fact and it was you know as much as I got it right with her on my wedding day I had this moment of like Lord I so know that you made her for me and I'm so happy right now. But Lord, I know also that you made me for one woman. I feel like I'm so, I was so regretful, actually, that I'd given away so many little pieces of my heart along the way. That what should have actually all been hers, given bits away. And worse, I'd taken from others. Bits of their heart tied to mine, having not done this thing well. So timing. Do not awaken love before it's time. And do not sit and burn with passion for years and years and years. So timing. How do you know if it's time? I'm going to give you some guidelines. One, are you walking in purity? Probably the most important thing. Are you trapped in pornography or a sexual relationship or something? Because if you are, you're not ready to be walking down this road towards marriage because you will bring that into marriage with you. You will join your spouse 
to that if you haven't won in it yet. If you're not able to have self-control and control your own innate passions and desires, you're not ready for marriage. I'll tell you that. Have you won your battles? Whatever it is, anger, addiction. And guys, I want to let you, like, if the person that is wanting to vibe with you is not living a life of self-control, do not go near them. If they cannot control themselves with you, they will not control themselves in marriage. That self-control thing is so big. And guys, like, if you cannot control yourself, don't go near it until you've won that battle. Some practical ones. Are you old enough to get married? Important consideration. If not, you are not in that place of, I am ready to get married and I think you're ready to get married and we're walking together with purpose to possibly getting married. If you're not old enough to get married, you're playing around. You're having a little bit of a taste of fun now with no real intention of seeing it through. This is not a rule, but a helpful thing to think about. You've won your battles. You walk in purity. You're old enough to get married. Are you able to carry and support a family? And that's not an absolute rule. Saying like there's room around that, but just it's a thing to think about. Are you equally yoked in maturity, in belief, in worldview? I love my friend Luke. You guys know Luke Hulley? One of the most intentional human beings I know. So inspired by that guy. Um, but when he met Zandi, his wife, they went on a date. And he literally sat down. He's like, listen, this is where I'm going. Is this what you want for your life? He was like, I feel like I, I'm called to be an elder. I'm called to work in the church. I'm called to plant churches. I'm called to take nations. That's where I'm going with what God has called me. Are you in? Zandi was like, yeah. That's what I want too. They are aligned in these things. And now they've got a beautiful marriage and lots of life and taking massive ground for the kingdom. Lastly, have you asked God what he thinks? It's a big one. It's a good question to ask. Maybe the first one. <laughs> Except if you're like 14, don't ask God if you should get married. I can tell you. I can give you that answer. Don't waste that prayer. You can pray some other prayers. What is the age of marriage? So legally, you've got to be 18. If you are under 18, if your parents consent and there's not an age gap greater than four years, then you can, but still. I mean, it's young. Think carefully. Because can I tell you that to get married and who you marry are probably two of the decisions that will shape your life the most outside of giving your heart to Jesus. Wives, your husband will be your ceiling. Husbands, your wife will be your anchor. Think carefully. 
Don't get me wrong. I love marriage. It's beautiful, man. It's incredible. Big fan. Still in it. In it for the long haul. Lots of life. But man, there's also a cost today. Everything comes at a cost. And I wanted to say, in praying about it, one of the things I'm most scared of is when someone comes to me and says, Ah, Adam, I've prayed about this girl. I've got peace, eh? I'm like, bro, I had peace every time too because it's what I wanted. Don't rely on your peace in this thing. Seek counsel. You don't, like, this is the one area in which I so learned not to trust my own heart because everything in me wanted this. I would, I would like make God say, like it was, twist his arm. Good, Jeffy. So what do you do, those of you who are in that stage where you dig to get married, but you're not old enough, not mature enough, not totally walking in purity, you haven't kind of ticked some of those boxes. What do you do with your lives now? I'm going to tell you what. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 32 to 35. It's one of the most beautiful things. It says, I want you, this is Paul writing to the church in Corinth, and he says, I want you to be free from the concerns of this life. An unmarried man or woman can spend his time doing the Lord's work and thinking about how to please him. You know, generally, that's the aim of my life. But also, I've got a wife and children who I'm also interested to, who I'm also responsible for. I love them. They do take away from my ability to always do this. They are a concern to me. In addition to the work of leading a church and holding on a job. A married man can't do that so well. He has to think about his earthly responsibilities and how to please his wife. That one takes a lot of thought. His interests are divided. And in the same way, a woman who is no longer married or has never been married can be more devoted to the Lord in body and in spirit, while the married woman must be concerned about her earthly responsibilities and how to please her husband. That one's significantly easier for you women. I am saying this for your benefit, not to place restrictions on you. I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best with as few distractions as possible. Guys, singleness is one of the most beautiful times in your life, whether it is for a few years or your whole life. There is such purpose to it. It's going to tell you something. You were not made for marriage. You were made for Jesus first. Everything else comes second to that. And so even that's a good question to be asking. Lord, I'm yours. What do you have for me in this area? If it's marriage, great. Help me to do it well in a way that glorifies and pleases you. If it's not of you, Lord, I don't want any part of it and help me. And devote yourself to him. But in these years now, you guys, I squandered my single years. Because I was hardly ever single. So distracted, running around, chasing relationships. That I look back now, they gave me nothing. All I carry from those times is actually just pain. Cost. Bits of my heart given away and lost. But what a beautiful time to devote yourself to Him, man. Lean into that. Like, I love marriage, but in a lot of ways, I'm jealous of what you have. 
no restrictions on your time. Like, it's epic. Yes, there's a cost to that too, and that singleness can be difficult, and it's lonely, and I understand that, guys. Purity, eh? God takes it so seriously. You know, I was thinking now, even as I was preaching, I've, I've changed my theology a bit on Ellie and I and how we dated. Like, we really didn't cross any boundaries, but man, can I tell you, when I, when I kissed that girl before we were married, it was like V8 turbo going, put flat tires squealing. I was not in those moments. My mind was not on the cross or the things of the kingdom. I was like, dear Jesus, help me. Like, I felt like I was being electrocuted. It was, and I look back actually, and I'm like, if I went back, and did it again, knowing what I know now, I probably wouldn't even kiss her till the day we married. Really, I've, that's not a rule, I'm not putting that on you, but I'm saying like, for me, I'm like, I hadn't crossed boundaries, but man, even in my mind, I was like, Lord, this thing's on fire right now. Hey, <laughs> you relate, Carmel. No, but seriously, like you guys have been in relationships. Have you been able to like in absolute purity? No, you haven't. So even in friendships, man, how do we have healthy friendships? At Romans 12 verse 9, it says, love each other with genuine affection. The Greek for genuine affection is brotherly love. Brotherly love, such a beautiful thing. Yeah, but Adam, he's like a brother to me. Cool. You know what the difference is between like a brother and a brother? With a brother, there is no risk of emotional attachment. There's no risk of romantic feelings. There's no risk with a brother. Unless, yeah, that's a separate conversation we need to have. Like a brother, all those risks are there. And so even in our friendships, guys, I want us to be wise. If you share intimate details, it breeds intimacy. And so even in our friendships, man, we can often load a friendship with a burden that that friendship isn't able and designed to carry when we're friends across the gender line. And you don't have the safety net of also, he's my brother, like a brother, but also in all the ways that count, unlike a brother. And so if you share the things in a friendship that you'd normally share with a brother or sister, really do place a burden on that friendship that it's not designed to carry. There's no safety net. Intimacy breeds intimacy. Sharing details, spending all your time together, constant messaging. If you let a thing look like a relationship for long enough, very high risk, it becomes a relationship. Either for you, or for the other person. And so even in these things, we have a duty not just to guard our own hearts, but theirs as well. Am I exposing you to catching feelings by living the way I am? And are you ready for marriage? And am I? If not, I have such a high duty to love you and honor you and be a good brother or sister to you.
run the risk of awakening love before it's time if we're not wise in these things. I'm not saying totally ignore and cut off the opposite sex and like walk around with blinkers and if a girl comes near you, run screaming. Like, please, like we're not totally weird, but there is a way to exercise wisdom and balancing these things to realize that we could be exposing each other actually to heartache. You know, like Paul says, I'm not trying to place law and rules on you. I give you safety nets and guidelines so that you can actually want to save you from pain, really. One other consideration, Romans 12, verse 17, it says, do things in such a way that everyone can see that you are honorable. Like, we are called to be a light to this world, man. We're called to be an example to it, not to look like it. Our lives, and especially our lives in this church, they set the tone. You older guys, by older I'm saying like over 18, you set the tone for the younger guys. They will do what you do. They will imitate what you do. I was looking at Jet this morning. That does not understand praise and worship. He does not have the theology. But he is standing here clapping his hands because we are all clapping our hands. And in a way, that's beautiful because he's learning what worship looks like and as his theology catches up it's like it's instilled in him but man the equal opposite is true like we carry a responsibility to each other to model these things well even for me as a leader man like there's a lot that i'm permitted to do that i don't do for your sake but i don't want to cause you to stumble i don't want you to imitate me and what i have freedom in and you get hurt We've got that kind of responsibility to each other. And most of all, guys, Jesus is coming back. And he's coming back for a bride. It's going to be all Song of Solomon up in here when Jesus comes. He's coming for a pure bride. And this, for us, is probably the biggest area of purity that's going to be a struggle. Especially in this age group. Blood runs hot. But man, we've got to let ourselves be informed by His Word and not this world. You know, we've had, we've had some of this stuff go down in our congregation. We've had heartache happen. I'm not picking on you and I'm not trying to condemn you or convict you. Often in our ignorance, we didn't know better. But I'm trying to say, like, looking at his word and the ways of God, now we, we know better. We've got to do better. And I want to encourage you, like, come and speak to us. And to you older guys who've, everyone who's married here, have you talked to them, do you carry scars? And you're like, yeah, carry scars from how I lived my life before. Come and, like, take the benefit of our pain and learn from it. Don't make the mistakes we did. And to you older guys, like God, the young singles. It's hard, and it can be lonely. Like our homes open to bring people in and comfort and encourage, and like it's very difficult. They need our love and our support to guard and watch over them. I want to encourage us to do that. But one of the big issues is that when this stuff goes wrong, it affects unity. It's very hard to have unity when there's hurt and pain and failed relationships. And possibly that's even one of the bigger reasons to be so sure that this thing's going to end 
and something that glorifies God before even getting into it. And I wanted to say, even amongst us, this thing's gone pear. It has gone wrong. Can I encourage you, make right. Repent, apologize, restore unity. For those of you who've been hurt, forgive, cover it in love, move on, fight for unity. Really want to say that, guys. It's and know this, like there is grace. Thank God for his mercy and his kindness. He forgives us over and over and over, and we've got to do the same. Can I ask us to make right in this area? And in this, like, I hope that you'll do it. But don't just do it out of fear that Adam's going to come tune us now. Like, you're not doing it for me. You're doing it ultimately for Jesus. And for Jesus in each other. And if you are feeling a bit bruised by this, like, please, it's so not my heart. But God takes this stuff seriously, and we have to take it seriously. We have to go to the uncomfortable places. But I really felt like, don't wait, and don't waste time. Like, in this week, go make right. Sort this out. Get unity back. Because where there's unity, God commands his blessing. That's what I'm after.